3: Hi folks, I'll just take a wee minute out here to talk about NordVPN. Now, NordVPN are official club partner of Rangers, so you know that they're trustworthy. And trust is a big thing on the internet. I'm afraid that you can't trust people because there are lots of bad people out there who want to steal your data. And if you are using other wi-fi to your home network if you are out and about and you use wi-fi or your 4g when you're outside 5g whatever then hackers are able to get to your information and it's such a pain if you've ever been hacked and you've had to change passwords or you've had to change bank cards etc it is so so time consuming and you don't need to do it because all you need to do is sign up to nordvpn and know you're protected and of course if you're ever going on a short holiday then you know what I'm talking about. You know where you can go to get absolutely thousands of options of where your internet is, but security is the key thing, let's face it, and you can get 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand and use the code heart and hand, you will get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. So just go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand, use the code heart and hand, And be protected. Get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. Christmas is coming.
1: Good evening and welcome back to Heart and Hand Extra, your second free show of the week. Uh, I'm your host Adam Thornton and tonight's show we'll discuss the, the news of the last few days uh, and as always even in an international break uh, a lot has been happening in the world of the Rangers. Joining me for this one we have a James sandwich. First up we have Tess, how's things?
2: Very good, thanks mate, how about yourself?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thank you, not too bad, looking forward to to the games getting back Getting back started. Uh, last but not least, obviously, we have James Forrest. How are you? Not too bad, Adam.
0: Fairly uneventful week or so since uh, we spoke before, I think.
1: Yeah, 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 I think so. Um, obviously, it's been covered in, in detail on, on the flagship in terms of, of Stephen Gerrard leaving. Um, and then for those of you who are on our Patreon service, and if you're not there, then then why not? You can join us at patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. We've had a, a few uh, reaction Podcasts to the news that um, at the time of recording was yesterday on Thursday, Giovanni van Bronckhorst has been confirmed as our new manager. So yes, lots lots happening, lots to, to dig into tonight, but James Forrest, let's begin with uh, today's memorial service for Walter Smith. A huge turnout by all accounts, uh, ex-players and colleagues from all over the world turned out to pay their respects for Walter. Um, there was a private family, if you know, earlier in the month, but I think a bigger service like this just does justice to to the man and allows everyone to, to pay their respects to a, an absolute legend of, of the club and the country.
0: Yeah, a man of his stature and I a, and a, and a put emphasis on, you know, man, it's not just in a footballing sense, it's just the kind of person that he was. He deserves, you know, the opportunity for a lot of people to come together, to share stories and remember him and talk about their experiences with him. Um absolutely right. And it's it's been lovely to see that your know, many former players of his uh have made the journey over to Scotland in order to be there, to be a part of that. Thinking players certainly from his second spell as well as his first spell. Um and yes, you know, it, it feels it does feel strange in terms of how long ago it almost feels since since we learned the news of his passing. Um, but even even after such a length of time, it still is something that you know you, you remember back to how you felt at the time. And um, I think a lot of people that were there would have would have felt the same. And you know, there's people who attended who maybe weren't former players of his as well, but recognised the stature of person that he was and you know they wanted to be there to pay their respects too so um i'm really really glad to see that that's something that that a lot of people have turned out for and rightly so
1: Tess, as, as James mentioned, um, there's, there was a, a huge turnout. Um, the full first-team squad were present, uh, as was Frank Lampard, Sir Alex Ferguson. There was a Dundee United contingency, obviously, from his, his days there, and a, and a Celtic contingency as well, and then a host of, of ex-players who had played under him, Alan McCoy, Jelavic, Sasa Papac, Davey Weir, many, many more. Uh, Tess, I think if we didn't know already, this shows the impact he's had, not just on, on Rangers in Scotland, but a lot wider than that as well.
2: Yeah, um I I clocked the thread on follow follow earlier, uh, about the memorial service. I was I only looking on there to find out when it was on R T V but obviously you you go on a rabbit hole, don't you? Uh, and there was a video of people arriving in photographs. And I find it quite emotional to be honest. That all the, the the great and good of Scottish football coming together to remember one of the one of the best ever, you know, certainly the best of the modern age. Um again you, you can say that it's it's a testament to the kind of man that he was, that there are people from so many different parts of Scottish football there, there to pay their respects to him. Um, obviously, the, um, the Celtic contingent led by Neil Lennon, I know Peter Lawwell, Scott Brown, and Neil Lennon have said some very nice words about him. And I think that, you know, it's one thing to give them credit for doing that. Well, I, I don't think they were doing it for the credit at all. I think they generally meant the words that they said. But what Walter Smith was an absolute force of nature, but it was also, from all the stories that were coming out, a, a damn decent human being. So the, the turnout that he's had today, it's, it's absolutely no less than he deserves.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Um And obviously everyone at Heart and Hands passes on their, their well wishes to to the family. Uh, if there is anyone out there who would like to, to watch the memorial service, as, as Tess mentioned, it will be up on RTV 5pm um, today, which at the time of recording, um, it will be up by the time this, this show comes out, I, I should say. Okay, um, moving on then in in the nicest uh, possible way, uh, and back to, to current Rangers matters, uh, and Rangers have a, a new manager. Um, after seven days, which... Isn't that long, really, um, to identify uh, a new manager and discuss and, and go through contracts and legalities and discuss backroom staffs and get them flown over and flown back again and flown over again? Um, it doesn't seem like a long period of time, but James, this is the this is the way the world. And in Rangers land, seven days can feel like a lifetime sometimes. But Giovanni van Bronckhorst is back at Ibrox as the club's seventeenth permanent manager in history. He signed a, a contract until 2025. Um, which is a three-and-a-half-year deal. James, you spoke to Johan Brinkle yesterday from Feyenoord Fan Podcast to get a bit of insight into Van Bronckhorst uh, as a coach and his time at Feyenoord. What were the, the takeaways from that?
0: What was really interesting about the chat with Johan was you know, this idea that it was a build-up to him being a manager when he came back to the club as a coach, having retired. In 2010, you know, it, it was always something that he wanted to do. He was involved in kind of youth coaching pretty much as soon as he retired. He, he's the kind of guy that wanted to stay in football um, post-playing and getting the opportunity to go to finer to work under the management, you know, Ronald Koeman, um, as an example of one of the managers he would have worked under uh, during that spell as a first-team coach, really learning off of those guys. And even though it maybe wasn't quite thought that he would take up the manager's job as soon as what he did initially. He impressed the Feyenoord board enough to make that call. And you know, a couple of seasons into the job, he wins them the title. Uh, and for context of that, Feyenoord are obviously one of the three big Dutch clubs, but they are the third in that, in that ladder. So they are having to work a lot harder than PSV or Ajax to win the title. And he achieved that, um, and not only the winning the league, but he's won. we tro- he has won a couple of cups as well, a couple of um, the Dutch version of like the Community Shield as well. Um, so you know he's a very successful manager in terms of what he's won, and in terms of a playing style, my my impression was that what we'll see from Gio is very similar to what we've seen. From Steven Gerrard uh, up to this point, with possibly more emphasis on, you know, making the defence stronger, which I think all of us would be rather happy to see.
1: Yeah, I think that that point about Feyenoord is um, is an interesting one. I think as a as an outlooker, I, I don't know how many people take a a huge interest in in the Eredivisie, uh, but you just kind of automatically assume that well they are the big three, and they are the biggest three. But I think there's probably a fair distance between. Feyenoord in um, and, and third to, to PSV um, and Ajax uh, I think from memory it was the, the first title in 18 years I think when, when he got it and there's only actually been three final titles in my lifetime so back to the, the mid-80s so while they're a, they're a big club and they've got a, a kind of rich history um, it's fair to say that it, it's maybe it's a huge thing I think for them to, to have won that title in, in uh, the first in 18 years as I said so he has to take a lot of credit for that I know we've you've spoken there about um the previous manager Ronald Koeman and maybe some building blocks etc that have been put in place but to get them to that point um that they won that title in that season I think he deserves a lot of credit it's not it's not as maybe straightforward as the wrong word but it's not like maybe taking over PSV and and winning the title there's there's a bit more to it than that
0: yeah it's not it's not quite you know someone going into Paris Saint-Germain if you want to use a different example in a different country it's um yeah, I think most managers will be able to go, go to France, to Paris and, and win the league and title. Uh, he has to build a squad and actually the squad that he's built both through transfers and also bringing through guys from the youth academy which is another thing that I thought was really interesting that, you know, Gio is prepared to look to the reserves, look to the kind of sort of the younger guys and if he feels that they're the kind of player that can make an influence and a difference to the squad then he'll put them into the squad. He has no issue whatsoever around that um and i I think what what we've seen from uh the youth levels over the over the past few years is there is you know we're wanting to build toward that nathan patterson being a player example of someone who has come through the youth system and is now a first team player and is you know can make an impact on the first team um so that is that is encouraging in, in that respect and and as well as all of um, the stuff that we've talked about there in terms of what he'll be as a manager, it's the aura around him as well. You know, we, he, he comes into that dressing room and players will know who he is. Players will know what he's won. He's won league titles and cups in numerous countries as a player um, and played for some of the biggest clubs in world football as well. Uh, and been successful and you look what he's done for his national team on top of that too you know this is a big name in footballing terms and I think that and this is I think something you and I spoke about before when you look at all the different the different kind of checkpoints that you have when you're looking for a new manager the guy who found himself kind of on average at the top overall it was Gio Um, So appointing him from our point of view, from a fan's point of view, made a lot of sense. But listening to what Ross Wilson had to say, um, you know, post the announcement uh, and that interview, which I thought was a really, really good interview and really insightful into the way that he works. This is one of the examples of how he he earns his money for us. And I think following that process and the the time that it took and I know there was people out there in the Twitter sphere who felt, why is it taking so long? You have to follow the process and there's no reason for us not to trust Russ, Ross Wilson you know, sticking by that process and in the end, we've got our guy and seven days from losing one manager to getting another in footballing terms, is actually pretty good going. And if you think about it, you think about some of ours previous attempts at trying to get managers and how much longer that's taken we're very very different now from where we were in terms of that we're far more structured, far more ready for these type of eventualities and that was the thing that I liked what Ross Wilson was saying we're always prepared for something like that coming up and having a database there to look at and having a short list of three and really having proper conversations trying to understand what it what they would bring to the table as a manager. Um and it just it just fits really, really nicely for so so many reasons.
1: It does and uh, the Ross Wilson interview is, is excellent. Um it's eight and a half minutes if um if you haven't listened to, haven't watched it yet, I would recommend you go and watch it. I believe it's it's free on the club's YouTube channel. Um, so you don't even have to subscribe to RTV if that's not something that you're interested in. But it is excellent. And and Tess, I'm going to come to you on this. I, I think there's maybe a natural reaction. I don't know if it's because of the last ten years or maybe even the last thirty years in terms of Rangers, on the whole, not having a cohesive strategy. Um, off the pitch. Uh, obviously there's there's huge. There's huge evidence of that, but I, I don't know whether people have just been burned a little bit too many times. That even when Ross Wilson comes out and says these things, there's still um, there's still a little bit of um, incredulous, People are still a little bit incredulous. That have you really had a shortlist? Have you been looking at candidates all this time? Is it really a great shortlist? We kind of talk ourselves down a little bit. Um, the names being linked to to the job are eons ahead of the names that we had before Gerard was was linked. Um, and Ross Wilson, everything he said, you have to take it face value. There was a short list. They worked through it. Very thorough, very process-driven. He's a guy who's been a decent operator at a very good level in, in the EPL. There's no reason why he's been in the job for two years. I don't see any reason why we would not believe what he's saying and that we've just had to go and find someone or, or randomly because Giovanni Van Brockhurst used to play for Rangers and, and he's available. I think there's going to be a lot more involved in that and I completely back on what he says that it's an ongoing process he's always looking at candidates who could be a Rangers manager in the future I think that is the way we have to work um and I think that's the way Ross Wilson's worked and as of right now Van Bronckhorst hasn't even entered the the building as far as I'm aware but you have to praise Ross Wilson uh, and the board for for going and getting them within those seven days and getting a candidate that I think ticks a lot of boxes. Every step
2: throughout this process Rangers have been really impressive obviously. I think Wednesday realistically we're all thinking, yeah, Gerard's gonna go. And straight away we're all starting to say he's got with Van bronkers he's he he ticked every single box. He plays a similar style of football, uh so you've got the continuity there. He's a Rangers man and he knows Scottish football. So straight away he's got that buy-in. He's a quality quality candidate. I mean you know w- w- as you mentioned before, they're winning that title fine audience I mean, I'd I always looked on final as, as a big club, you know, won a couple of European Cups and this and that. I didn't realise that they'd they, they not won as many league titles um, over the last 30 years. Again, they're just a team you always think of as being a big yep. club. So that, that, that makes his achievement, winning that title with them, their first in 18 years, even more impressive. Well, no, but no, back to the Rangers, the way, the way they've dealt with it, obviously Gerard's left. They've released a very classy message. There's no sour there's no grapes there at all, which... Probably there might be, but probably you don't want to see that. That's that's not befitting of the, of the, of the, of the men in charge of Rangers at all. And like I said, they're very classy, very dignified. They've extracted the maximum value for Gerard and his backroom staff in terms of compensation, and then they've got straight to it, getting the money they wanted. Gerard was confirmed on Thursday, by the Saturday, 48 hours later, they're interviewing candidates down in London. So, you know, they didn't waste any time. So to get a new manager in, and obviously this is all, you know, because of all that... It bollocks, and that he needs a work permit, which I'm, I don't see anywhere that he's not going to get one. The same for his stuff as well. But to get them all in place seven, within seven days—that's magnificent. Now, I, I genuinely do believe that he will have had a, a succession plan. The first time we've had one since Walter uh, handed the reins over to Ali ten years ago, uh, and obviously everything that's happened since then, <laughs> the club's been a complete hmm. joke most of it. It's just another sign that we're back on our feet in where we need to be. We've got the right people in the right positions off the pitch. We're doing things correctly. Now, a lot of clubs in England that top and change their managers, it doesn't affect them that much because they have got that director of football or that sporting director side in place. Now, it would have been nice. Well, I say it would have been nice. I mean, my, my first thought, really. Was if Gerard's going give the job to Michael Beale, but that was never realistic. I mean, the money that he's earning at the Villa, that's going to set him up for life. Like if he stays there three, four years, that's him set up for life. And who knows, he might well come back and be our next manager. But I think very quickly that became unrealistic. So, but I had my heart set on Joe as soon as I realised that Beale wouldn't really be an option. But Beale was only there as a, a continuity candidate. But the continuity really, it's what's happening with Ross Wilson. You know, that the ethos of the club remains the same. Uh, the scouting operation will remain the same. Hopefully, we'll be able to tap into the Dutch market a bit more now. Obviously, that, that's, that's where uh, Van Bronckhurst's um, expertise lies. So, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's another sign that Raiders are on a very stable footing. I mean, I, I, only, only time is going to tell if if this is part pie in the sky I'm thinking. If he comes in and we're an absolute discombobulated mess, then clearly that hasn't been the case. But I, I, I don't think that's where we're going to find ourselves. I think we're going to come in... You know, he said himself he's coming into a team that's in a position of real strength. Um, win on Sunday, we're in the League Cup final. 2-0 or more on Thursday, we're in the last 32 of the um, of the Europa League, which, and obviously the financial rewards that brings with it. We're in a very good position in the league. I mean, the next three matches are very much winnable uh, before we go to time for December. So, you know, but by he, he, he could come in, hit the ground running, and then by Christmas we could have won a trophy, be out in the league, and next side of Europe. And obviously it could all go the other way, but it, 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 as any manager coming in, and that's exciting. He's not got that much to do. He's not got that much tinkering to do. Again, it's a team that broadly plays a four-three-three, so that there won't there won't be that much need to buy into his methods because broadly it's already there. So it, it's it's a very exciting time. I think we've we've all, we've got the man that realistically we all wanted. I think out of the candidates that were available to us, he was absolutely the, the standout candidate. And I think, you know, that the future's bright, the future's orange.
1: <laughs> James, the manager we all wanted, I think, is is something I really want to, something I want to dig into because it's not unrealistic to say that the world of Rangers outside and inside social media has has been on fire for the last 10 days or so since since it was kind of clear that that Gerard was at least interested in in talking to Aston Villa. And then obviously that was confirmed uh, on Thursday of of last week. But ever since then, the the hunt for the new manager has has been on. And and we know that there's a broad spectrum of of Rangers fans. We know that some people want something completely different. Um, I would imagine you maybe want something different to what I want. and, And, would want something different um, to what we want in in general terms. Um, But the one thing that seems to have united every single person I have spoken to, and I don't think we can understate how important that is, is that everyone's number one choice for this job was was Giovanni van Bronckhorst. There will be some people out there who don't really think about it in too much detail and think plays a Four three three, we did really well in the nineties with Dutch people. Um I love the nineties. Um he is a manager, he is available just now, he used to play for Rangers, let's get him in. There will be people that think that and that's absolutely right, that's all the level that they will go to. But they're in agreement on this, that he ticks enough boxes for them. You can then go down to other levels and say, well, actually, some people watch European football and they think he did this and he did that and he was very good. Others can take it to a completely deeper level and look at how he played, how he did in China, all these things and come to an agreement. But across the board, having the Rangers fans universally in agreement about something is is not something that happens very often. So everybody seems to be all in on this appointment. And that's half the battle David alluded to it yesterday. You have to have a good start. You have to have the fans on your side right away. It just makes everything so much easier to begin with.
0: I haven't seen one Rangers fan yet, and there may well be one or two out there, but I've not not seen them say this, that they disagree with the appointment. Uh, Not one, because you're right. No matter how you come at it in terms of what you're wanting from a manager coming in, Joe is always going to be someone that you can point to. See, well, he'd be a good good appointment on that basis because of this. Um, and there isn't really anyone else that I can think of that you think of that has that same level of consistent. Well, that comes back to something that Van Bronckhorst can do. Um, we will likely never know uh, who the other two people on the shortlist were. Um, which for some people that will really really annoy them I think, but uh, I, yeah you, you completely understand why that would be the case. Um, but there's there's not really been any kind of clamour for anyone else. Like I'll I'll use him as an example just because it was one of the names that seemed to get a bit of traction. You know Ronald Kuman for example, that was a name that people were trying to like. Now Whether there was anything in that or not, I don't know. I personally doubt it. But, you know, they would say, you know, he's a big-name player, much like Gerrard, so there's that consistency continuity there. But people could turn around and say, as a manager, has he really done enough over his career to say that he's good enough? Or are you just appointing him on his name and his name alone? And I really think that an appointment like Koeman, you would have been far more in the latter. Whereas with Gio, yes, he's a name, maybe not quite as big a name, uh, in the sense of, you know, legendary status in football, but he's a name all the same that people throughout football will know because of the clubs that he's played for. And this is the other thing as well, because of what he's done in his career in in England, you know, there's an opportunity for an English market. His time in Barcelona, he could look at the Spanish market as well. Um, some of the press conferences today, people like uh, Pep Guardiola speaking incredibly highly about Giovanni yeah. Bronkost, Um because, of course, he was spending a bit of time at Manchester City and learning. This is the kind of guy he is. He's not the kind of person that if he's not in work, he's like, oh, I'll just have a wee holiday for a few months, you know, and sunbathe and maybe a club will come in for me at some point. No, he wants to learn. He wants to get better. Um for any manager doing that, that's that's really important for me. Someone that really loves the job and wants to get better. And I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's going to rest in his laurels. I think he's always going to want to improve himself as well as the squad that he has. And I think that's vital for any Rangers manager.
1: I completely agree. Um, let's talk briefly around... Playing style and, and and players um i'm not going to go into it in too much detail there'll be a full tactical breakdown over the next couple of weeks um or on the patreon site for, for those of you who are subscribed there um i'm always a little bit wary of comparing to to things that happened a while ago uh, and that final season that he won the league is is quite a bit away now uh four or five five years ago um now he's obviously left as, as james mentioned he left in 2019 went to Manchester City for six months or so before moving to to China and spent all of 2020 in China, but obviously the coronavirus epidemic has has had a huge impact on on his time there, and he moved back to back to Holland to be closer to his family. So again, I'm I'm quite wary of comparing things that happened in, in China during a pandemic as well, particularly how stop-start it was. So we'll dig into it in some some detail on Tactic talk. But for just now, Tess, um, if I was to pick out some things that I think will, will be different, he might use the fullbacks a little bit differently. He probably would favour a fullback like Bassi over over someone like Barisic. Um, they may not be as, as all action they may not be the only ones to provide the width, I have a gut feeling he will go back to what we would class as maybe more traditional wingers in a 4-3-3 and play both of them, one on each side so whether that's, that's Kent on one side and Zicalo on the other side or, or maybe Scott Wright going out there or maybe even Roof but but starting a lot wider, um, that's my, my my gut on what he'll do, I would imagine you have Morelos up, up top on his own Um, and in the midfield I think it will be a little bit more what's the word handbrake off i guess i know we have played a in there and we have played hadji in there but it feels like we always go back to that default test of we have to play Kamara and Davis and possibly Lundström in there and be a bit more solid and be hard to beat. I think coming from a Dutch uh, heritage and, and Dutch background in terms of playing style, etc., I think Van Bronckhorst will um, look to attack more from the midfield and, and be a bit more creative in there. I'm expecting players to be box-to-box and go and get goals and assists from, from deep, which is something that we we do struggle with in general. So I'm expecting us to be less solid within the middle, but maybe more attacking um I think high level those are the t- the tweaks or changes. But ultimately, Tess, we have a squad who are used to playing in this kind of 4-3-3 possession based style. We may attack more in terms of transitions under under the new manager, but we have a squad that can cope with all of this. Um in terms of the squad that we've got there, is there anyone that, that you're expecting may possibly get a get a bump up if you like? Maybe someone who's who's a squad player that we think might come and be a be a key man under a, a new management team? Is there someone there that you think um, would really be be someone that you were thinking maybe wouldn't be suited to Van Bronckhorst. What's your what's your take so far? I appreciate it's all theoretical.
2: I think the a midfield three of Davis or Kamara holding and then Aribo and Hadji is absolutely mouth watering. Um, I think Hadji is showing some of his best form when he's when he's played been coming from that midfield role as opposed to when he's stuck out on the right hand side, and I think that that him and Arriba with midfield would be incredible. Um, like you say, we are going to take the handbrake off and be a wee bit more open, but we've conceded how many goals this season already. We've conceded as many this year as we did the whole of last. So that it's not like we're going from the Iron Curtain defence to leaking goals again, because we've been getting city goals already this season. But no, I think that the midfield is really going to be developed. Um Alfie up front on his own as a target man. Yes, I think Ruth may suffer because if he does like his wide players to proper get chalk on the boots and be more light out and out wingers as, as opposed to wide forwards or um, as, or number tens. And I think Roof might struggle because he's he is very much a hybrid modern forward, but I don't think he's an art and out winger. So can he would he be able to play the lone front man role on his own? I, I don't know. And he's he's been our, our well I think he's been top scorer um, last season and uh, this season so far. So that that might be an area that we need to look at. I think bringing Hitten back in from the cold, um, it, well not from the cold, bringing him back in from well it is cold in Germany now. So mm. I think uh, bringing Hitten back from third uh, to first, um could he play the lone striker role? I think he possibly could. Um, so that might open up opportunities for him. But, uh, it, again, it, it, it's the midfield that I'm most excited about. I think Ruth might be a victim in all of this because he isn't an out-and-out winger and is he going to displace Alfie if the main job of the striker is holding the ball up. I don't think he will. But, again, I don't know. The full-backs, I mean, what, one thing that's always been said about Tab, I mean, wrongly, you know, you, you know I know I'm speaking to the converted here, but is that he can't defend and that, you know, his numbers are so good because of his attacking ability, well... There's some truth in that, but it's far more complex. If if he is expected to predominantly play as a defensive fullback, then that's that's for me is gonna take away the main aspect of his game, which then begs the question does he then bring in Nathan Patterson? Because he might have better the defensive side. Than that. I, I don't know. That that, that, that it's it's gonna raise a lot of questions. And I can see I can see things that I think are gonna happen that I'm happy about. Again, had and unarido in the midfield. I can see things that I'm not happy about, Ruth being um, marginalised and Tav being blunted. And I can see things that I'm really not sure about. So again, it's, it's a very exciting time. It's going to be interesting to see how he does start to incorporate his ideas. And I don't think we're going to see that for a couple of weeks, he ain't going to come straight in and make wholesale changes, especially for a game as big as Sparta Prague on Thursday. I mean, he may or may not have some influence over the selection on Sunday. Personally, I wouldn't have thought, of, if we're losing 4-0, they'll probably go down to the dressing room and change things around. Yeah, but I, I don't think he's going to have that much sway on Sunday. So I think the Sparta Prague game on Thursday probably is a bit too quick to bring wholesale changes in. But I think over the coming weeks, what you are going to see a few tweaks here and there and it's you know it's genuinely exciting to see what's going to happen because if, if we if we didn't perform in this season like we were last year, absolutely flying, I think people would be mortified. But the fact is we're not, and I think we've again we're we we, we we're one game away from a, from the first major trophy of the season, one win away from the last thirty two in the Europa League, and we're four points to go at the top of the, the 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 Scottish Premier League. But you know we, we've played well against. Run be at home in spells, uh, against Ross County in spells, and against Motherwell. Other than that, we've been we've gone from shocking to average, but we've still got the job done. So I think if we'd been playing absolutely out of skins like last season, people would be worried about the changes. But I think because we've looked a bit stale, people are excited about things being freshened up, and I certainly am.
1: Well, that's an interesting point. Um, James uh i agree with everything tested, said there in terms of, of kind of possibilities etc but that that staleness point i'd like to get to um i haven't really felt it too much this season um i know some people have some people have been complaining about everything so if if they pick this one thing that that they were right about then congratulations but um in general um three and a half years of the same message for a squad Success, absolutely, incremental success, 100%. But three and a half years of the same message and three and a half years of delivering the same message as a manager in the modern game, I think three to four years feels like a, a kind of rough par in terms of shelf life. While we can debate hypotheticals about whether it did get stale or whether um, the messages weren't landing, etc., when that time comes and, and the manager moves on, I think everybody, myself included, will be excited that the possibility for something new and the possibility to, to try something. When you're in the bubble, you just think, let's stick to what we know. We're getting success with that. When a new manager comes in, it's a new experience, a new broom for everybody. And there may be more defensive fullbacks, There may be wide players. There may be someone that's a surprise. I agree with Tess. I think eating maybe more in hope rather than expectation. But I think based on how Van Bronckhorst used Jorgensen at Feyenoord, I think there's another Opportunity there for for Eaton um to come back in. But that, that freshness that will come just by having a new person telling you what might be quite similar things, I think we can't really discount that, can we? No, I
0: don't think so. Um but remember we've we've looked better in an attacking sense, uh in more recent games. So that that seemed to be clicking a bit more. Defensively was maybe the issue, but I think that's something that Van Bronkers might be able to, to look at and you know, find one or two answers on. I'd, I'd I'd feel quite confident in in terms of that. Um, it was interesting thinking about you know the question that you'd asked about players that might benefit from um from from Broncos coming in and thinking about the midfield. Uh, I, I think that having a player like who plays like Davis uh, as that anchor, whether that role would be as deep now as what it maybe was i'm not sure that would be interesting to see whether there's a natural inclination for davis to sit a bit deeper if he wants to be that starter there um that would be quite interesting i do feel like davis is more geos type of midfielder than a lundstrom for example uh, and i do wonder whether someone like stephen kelly might get a bit more of a look not necessarily in terms of starting games but in terms of being in the squad uh, for him to, to play that role because that is something that maybe seemed that he could potentially do and do quite well. Maybe Scott Arfield benefits more from a, an attack, uh, from a midfield that has a bit more of an attacking emphasis. Um, if rebo is going to be a part of that midfield, I think he will need to work more in terms of his overall his overall game rather than just going forward, which he's already very good at. But I think Van Bronkers is going to want and expect his midfield to be able to do both sides of the game equally as well. Roof isn't a natural winger, but neither was really duck And duck Kite was so important for Feyenoord in that season because he was a bit more of a right forward, which Kimmer Roof can be. So I think there'll be a lot of rotation going on there until he maybe finds that that one that that type of setup that sticks. Um and I think the type of striker that he wants is going to be like an Alfredo and possibly a Cedric Itin, although I do believe and I think he's the type of striker that works better in a front two rather than a front three. And he likes to have that strike partner there to work off of uh, to get the best out of him. So, you know, in that sense, he might struggle a bit more in, in terms of that. And maybe Sakala finds himself on the wing more uh, than as a striker, even though he can do both. Um, maybe if. He wants to have someone that's got a bit more of a physical presence as the kind of target man, uh, which Morelos can do and maybe can do slightly more than Sakala, though Sakala does have good traits in that respect. Maybe you get the best out of fashion when he is maybe on the wing, perhaps on the right-hand side with Kent on the left. But this is the thing that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, really, in terms of the guys that will potentially find themselves in the team more often, maybe doing something slightly different, maybe doing the same thing. Um, I think Yanis Hadji is the biggest question, actually, in terms of where he finds himself. That's going to be most interesting. Uh, and I think that will give us an idea in terms of what Wim Bronkers wants to do uh, in terms of how his teams play. But there'll be a lot of intriguing things to come over the next few weeks in terms of how where, where players find themselves and... Whether there might be players that, if bids came in for them in January, that might not be as disastrous as what it might have been had we had the same coaching staff in place. Considering how they want their teams to play and what those players can offer.
1: Yes, lots of interesting questions coming up. Um, sticking with you, James. Um, very modern things as well. But not only is he is he the manager, but he's he's bringing a full coaching team with him. Um, these are. Heavily rumoured just now. I'm not sure any of them have been confirmed except except one. But um what is being heavily rumoured uh is Jean Paul Van Gastel will be joining. Um that's quite interesting to me, James, for a few reasons. He seems to be very highly rated. I think Johan mentioned on, on the podcast that, that most fans believed he might have taken over as manager at Feyenoord when Kuhn left in twenty fifteen. I think you were alluding to that earlier on, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's that's who that's who they were expecting, but that's this is what I was referred back to where how, how Gio was doing yep. in terms of what he how he was impressing and they felt well actually he's more of a manager and was more of a more of a kind of first team coach they kind of sort of almost like the, the Gary Mack of that relationship really um but I think Gio's a bit more hands on in that respect. Yeah. Um so yes, no and if he was to come in to go into that job despite being a first team manager as he is as things stand uh i think that says a lot about what he thinks about Giovanni van Bronckhorst if he was to do it uh because uh, you know you'll get you'll get coaches who feel that you know they want to spread their wings and you know do their own thing um but you do see that where sometimes it's just someone there that you're, you're quite happy to be you know labeled as the assistant uh, for for that um, brews his own beer I've been told there's Van Gastel so he'd fit right into the old Glasgow uh, if he was if he was, to, if he was to come so uh here's, here's hoping Um no, I'd, I'd be I think for me I'd feel far more comfortable um and no, maybe that's not the right way to put it but I'd be very very happy if he had that same kind of familiar feel of the coaching staff around him in terms of guys in there Um you know, in the, and I think
1: Van Gastel is a very important part of that. Yes, it, it is interesting. I've spoken to a few people and I think there's probably the surprise there originally that Van Bronckhorst got it. But then also that, that Van Gastel didn't take the job when, when Van Bronckhorst went to, to China. Uh, he obviously followed him there as well. Um, a few people saying that he is possibly more involved tactically than, than Van Bronckhorst would be. Um, so I guess there's possibly shades of Michael Beale there. Yeah. Um, James happy to be the number two or number three if you like uh, in that scenario, but but Van Bronckhorst is is the boss, but possibly aspirations of becoming a manager. Indeed, Van Gastel did become manager in China, as we said, and he did t- he did do quite well there this season. Uh, he got them to fourth, Guangzhou, uh, and into the playoffs, which begin next month. If he does come in as assistant, James, that's surely a bit of a coup, is it not, given his history. First of all, in terms of his coaching, and also leaving a, a club. Uh, okay, it's the Chinese Super League compared to Rangers, but a club doing quite well in their league as manager to to come to Rangers and and almost take a step back to to be an assistant. That's quite rare, I think, and it has to be has to be a positive that first of all he's willing to do that for Van Bronckhorst. You would imagine there's a huge amount of respect there, and first to, and second of all, the Rangers have been able to get get him to do that.
0: All of that, yeah, absolutely. So if that does. If that does happen, and that does get confirmed, um, then that really should be celebrated um, for certain. You know, I'm, I'd, I'd be really, really chuffed to to see that because, you know, I think I think then you feel you, you feel like it's far more likely that you're going to see so many of the good traits of what Finer did during his time as manager. Then not just in the title-winning season, but in in other aspects as well. When you've got that familiar coaching setup there yes you would be able to kind of replicate a lot of that but you know coaches as, as you well know Adam coaches you bring their own individual kind of level of of spice to that uh, and it all just mixes so much better together when you've got the actual guy there as opposed to just replicate and try to replicate his ideas.
1: 100% and, and Tess I was just about to come on to that there are actually um, some similarities to Michael Beal there if, if Van Gastel was the, the kind of tactical mind, if you like. But I think there has been an expectation that, that from fans that we had a template with Gerard and Beale and McAllister and Kulshaw on how that worked and we we need to replicate that going forward. There's more than one way to to skin a cat. We, we don't necessarily need a specific tactical coach just because we lost a tactical coach in Michael Beale. Uh, I think that setup we had is pretty rare in modern football. A manager who is pretty much the figurehead doesn't get involved day to day. Don't think that happens too more um, too much anymore. So I think we won't be like for like on that test. I, I expect Gio to be more involved in the training pitch than than Gerard was. I think it will be more of a balanced relationship there with Gio being the boss, but certainly involved in in a large por- portion of the training and and the kind of load split equally underneath it. Everything I've read. And listen to points to him looking to improve players on the grass and get his methods across that way. Um, there is more than one way to skin a cat, I guess. It? And it could it could be that we do replicate the the previous um, coaching staff, but I think it's probably going to be a little bit more fluid this time around.
2: I think first and foremost, many manager of Rangers, other than being competent, is they've got to have presence. They've got to have balls of steel, mate, because. It's it you really are putting yourself there to be shot at right, by the press, by opposition, by our own fans if you don't win two games in a row, because that's just the way we are. So first and foremost, you've got to have that presence, that authority, you know, you've very much got to be a figurehead for your team. Um your your, your staff, your management team. Um I think as was shown with Gerard, having the tactical acumen as the manager isn't I don't want to say it's not that important. It's not as essential, if somebody in your team can provide that. Now, um, Gio, he, he, by the sounds of it, as you say, he's going to wee a bit more hands-on. He's going to have a bit more input into that. But I don't think that as a manager of Rangers, that is his main role. Again, I think he, he, he's very much going to be the figurehead, <clears throat> Mot- motivate the players, keep everything together. Um, so that there are people in his back room who, who can do that as all great. Um, if he can do it himself, great. But again, I I mean this might just be the way that I looked at it, but I don't see that as his main role. The, the, the job at Rain is it's far too big. You you could you could be the, the, the biggest tactical genius in the world. yet yeah, you could be an absolute weakling mentally and it's not gonna work. It's not it's never gonna work. You, you, you can be you can be the best coach, the best motivator, or you could be an absolute weakling when 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 the pressure hits. Both in the press conferences and in the dugout, you fall to pieces. So you've got to have that presence, you've got to have the aura around you, which Gio's certainly got by nature of the fact that he, you know, he's he's won titles in three different countries. He's won the European Cup. He's captained his country on the greatest stage of all, the World Cup final. This is a geezer who, without having to say anything, I'd imagine all the, all the players, if they don't know him already, because they might be a wee bit young, but all the players already have Googled him and been like, wow, this guy's done a bit. So straight away, he's, he's got the aura. And, and, and any other aspects of his of his of his management style that are gonna uh, enrich Reigns, like we say. Such, I mean, he'll, he'll be able to motivate his players. He showed that at Fine that the squad that they had, they had no right to win in the league that season, but they did. So he can motivate his players. Um, you know, if, if he can do bit tactically as well, then brilliant. And is you know the, the more the, I wanted him because you see him not the full package in terms of what he can offer us. In terms of his his presence, obviously, him being a Rangers man's huge because it's not going to take him six months to buy into the culture. I mean, that that did for the likes of Paul Le Guin, Cassini. They never got it. They were never going to get it. You know Van Brunckhorst is going to hit the ground running from that point of view. You know I wanted him for that reason. I wanted him because of his success as a manager. I wanted him because of his stature as a, as a player. No, no one's going to be saying and You know, in, in the press room, they're not going to be like, "Who's oh, this geezer? Can't appear to what to do. He's a nobody because it clearly isn't, and he ticks every box." So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with the appointment. Really, really happy. The best one we could have got. Um, what he does on the training pitch, how, how he can change a game, how he uses substitutions uh, with Rangers, not yet to be seen. And again, I keep using the word excitement, but it is a very, very exciting time.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely is. Uh, in terms of the other staff, we're hearing that, that some of us will be joining Roy McKay Um hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who has been working with Feyenoord in their academy since he retired, essentially, for about 10 years. He's, he's worked, worked his way up and he's been the manager of the under-19s and, more recently, the manager of the under-21s. I believe he left at the same time as, as Van Brunckos left, so I'm not too sure where he's been in terms of, of continuing his career for the last two years or so. But obviously a great player who we were linked with a few times uh, in the past. He comes in as assistant manager, which we assume will be a focus on attacking or striker coach uh, in terms of other stuff. It's been reported that a performance uh, analyst that used to work uh, at Feyenoord, Yuri Boshart, um, will be coming in uh, as well. He worked at Feyenoord and, and in China um, with, with Van Bronckhorst, and he'll be coming in to replace Scott Mason, who obviously left to, to go to Villa. And a physio slash fitness coach that was also at Feyenoord, but, but now works for the Dutch national team, will be coming in uh, as well, you will assume. To to replace Jordan uh, Milsom, but those are, are not yet confirmed at this stage. Um, pretty much the same size of staff as Gerard. maybe missing a Tom Culshaw looking at defensive stuff or set pieces specifically, but again, we might not have split it up as as has been uh, in the past, as we've said. Okay, so let's look ahead to the big game uh, coming up uh, on Sunday. Obviously, Van Bortenckhorst is, is here. He will be in attendance at the National Stadium, but for this for this game, it will be David McCallum, Brian Gilmore, Jermaine Defoe, Colin Stewart, and all the other staff um, that will be preparing the team for this. We go into the game in relatively good form, I, I think. I'm sure people will, will disagree, but certainly in terms of performances, the last two league games, uh, we scored six and, and scored four. I think those have been our best two performances from an attacking point of view um, in, in the league, uh, and I think things were really starting to pick up from, from that side, obviously, before... Uh, the international break uh, and before Gerard uh, and his team left, uh, James Forrest, I'll come to you first. What's your What's your thoughts on this game? It's obviously really difficult to to call what the team etc is going to be. You would imagine when someone comes in as a caretaker, effectively, they just kind of keep the wheel turning and, and don't change too much from from what's happened in the past.
0: Yeah, I don't expect much in the way of change at all really for this game for that reason you know that's not up to it's not up to these guys that are coming in and taking training and whatnot to try and put their own spin on things i think their, their job which you know is, it makes total sense is they'll just keep on doing the work that they're doing because the benefit of the model of you know the b team which is you know, guys like the Callum and Gilmore have been, you know, there is a an identity of how the how a club want to play. And so that's something they're trying to implement with the younger guys. So they can easily transition, you know, the, the training side of things to the first team because it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff they'll be doing, the same drills, all of that kind of thing. So they'll they'll be absolutely fine uh, in terms of in terms of that. I've no major issues in terms of the people stepping into that role. It is just going to be that continuity. Um, who they pick, who starts, who's on the bench, etc. I think it's going to look very, very similar to what we've what we've seen before. I think it will be, you know, your your step kind of back four that I think we've kind of landed on of late. I don't think I don't see there being any surprises uh, in in the starting lineup. I don't think that's for for them to do and I don't think that's something that I, I, I can't see Gio saying to the coaching staff, by the way, I want, you to, I want you to start so-and-so. I think they'll be given this game in terms of who they're picking, it'll be the same as normal and we'll hopefully to carry on the good domestic form that we've shown of late.
1: Like. Yeah, Tess, I think, I think it does. It picks itself to an extent, I think, back five-wise. Yeah, absolutely. I expect Bassi to, to probably play uh, in place of Barisic and then I would imagine Kamara and Davis will play uh, and there's a debate about whether it's a Rebo in midfield or, or whether we go with someone like Arfield or, or even Bakuna. So that right-hand side position, if you like, is still up for grabs. But up front is, is the one I'm keen to get your opinion on. I think the, the only thing we can see for definite is Ryan Kent will we'll start, given how um, he's changed both games, or the impact he's had in, in both games pre uh, pre the break. I think that's that's absolutely guaranteed that he will start. Outside of that, I'm not so sure. Obviously, Morelos hadn't played. Uh, he was dropped to the bench for the Ross County game Um, Ruth we think might be struggling with a little bit of an injury Sakala is on red hot form but is travelling back uh, as well and probably got back um, yesterday or or Wednesday so there's a wee bit there that's probably up for debate Um, like we said I don't think the the, the coaching team will change anything fundamentally but they may have to do a little bit of reshuffling depending on, on all those factors
2: mate, I'd love it if the foe started himself and scored a hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: would be that would be fun. It,
2: it wouldn't surprise me to see him on the bench because if Sakala's is travelling back and he might be a wee bit jet lagged and Ruth's struggling then he puts himself on the bench and you know he's coming off to like like when we played Ibs in the um in the League Cup final in ninety three and Ali came off the bench and won the won the won the cup with no red kick. You know how he was scoring. So if Defoe brings himself on on Sunday, mate, you know he's scoring. But nowhere, Kent starts, Morella starts. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you're outside right. Probably Hadji, to be honest. I, I think he it, will go Hadji. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna. They're gonna throw Scott Wright in for a start at Hamden because his form of late hasn't warranted it. To be quite frank. I think you're going to go with the front three of Kent, Morelos and Hadji. And if any one of those players sparks, let alone two or three of them, then we're going to give Hibbs a bit of a
1: doing. James, our record at the National Stadium is pretty rough uh, over the last... Um, six or seven years, I guess, nearly as bad as Hibbs. Uh, so obviously, um, we need to have a have a winner. But what's your what's your thoughts on on the chances of the game? It is a huge game. Um, obviously they all are cliche alert, but um, it's the start of a really big run for us, taking us right up to the to the Celtic game. It's important we go off to a good start. Obviously, it is a cup game, so it's it's essential. But what's your what's your take on it, given the National Stadium travails over the last uh, few years? Yeah,
0: as as much as that's true, I don't think that's something that that should ever be pointed to as a as an excuse. Um, yeah, I think we should go into this game as as strong favourites. Um, partly due to the fact that Hibs haven't kicked a ball for ages. Um, yeah, there's there's really very very little excuse I think that that can be put on the players for for not doing the business. Um, and I also I also think that there'll be a lot of players there who, you know, if if they feel that they want to, you know, be a part of this team going forward, they're going to want to impress their new manager who'll be watching in the stands. They'll want to put in a bit of a performance and say, yeah, I, you you can rely on me uh, to start me in games and I will I will do the job for you, uh, Gaffer. So, I yeah I I'm I'm confident in that respect that there will, will be guys and you know if if a lot of the guys don't perform then I think that says a lot about their their futures in terms of that because you've got a great opportunity with a fresh start uh, and if you can't do that then you know is just really for you in, t- in terms of what we're after so I, I I don't think there's any excuses for us going into this for us not to reach the final in spite of poor Hamden records whatever you want to point at as a as a way of getting getting yourself wound up going into this game I think
1: uh, yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, Tess, Hibs are, are not in a good place um, right now, and I don't I don't just mean Edinburgh. Um, they have lost their last four games, but they haven't played in a month because of their, their kind of coronavirus issues. So the last time they actually played was was Celtic defeat, twenty seventh of October, but they haven't won a game since the twenty sixth of of September. Um, history tells us that when there's such a big break like that, uh, it does take teams a little bit to to get themselves back going again people always seem to think it'll be a break and they'll come back refreshed but when they hadn't been doing well for for that three or four games before that as well um how do you think they will they will react will they come out the traps flying or will they be a little bit sluggish because of of that break that they've had
2: i think they'll come out the traps flying mate let's be right this they've got absolutely nothing to lose they're expected to get beat by rangers um, so if they if and when they do get beat by us, it's not like it's a massive shock. Um, there's no guarantee they're going to re- get anywhere near the semi-finals of the Scottish Cup. And now that Aberdeen have picked up a wee bit of form, there's no guarantee they're going to make Europe through the um, through the league. So I'm not I'm not going to say or forget about the league, but I'm saying that th- this this is absolutely their best chance for a trophy and a bit of glory this season. So I, I, I can see Hibbs absolutely flying out of the block. They, they, they know they can't afford to conserve their energy because if they do, they could find themselves 3 or 4 nil down at half-time if Rangers turn up in the mood. They also know that we're very susceptible to conceding the first goal. You know, it, it is a thing now. It happens. When, when even a team or bottom of the league come to Fortress Rock and score after five minutes, you know, it's a thing. So they're going to think to themselves, you know what? We go out and get everything get a goal, turn the crowd, get another goal maybe, and if they go in at half-time and their mind is 1-0, and up or whatever, then they might think, yeah, we're going to tie, but we, we can frustrate them. So I think that that's the only way that they can win, in my opinion, because again, they, they can't try and play the long game with us. We're too good. And again, they're missing that. We we ain't played for two weeks, but, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be a lot sharper than them. So I really think Hibbs are going to come out and try to put us away in the first 15, 20 minutes, which... You know, that the attacking talent they've got and the way that we've started games sluggishly, it's a possibility, mate. It could happen. I don't think it will, but I think it's it's something that definitely could happen. And if I was if I was in charge of Ibs, I'd be saying, right, that's their weakness. We know we're gonna tie, so we've got to go at it strong. And I'd be going out to do that. So try and put Rangers away after fifteen, twenty, twenty-five minutes and then see what happens.
1: James, um, just to finish us off, then give us a prediction for the game.
0: Yeah, I, I take I take on board a lot of what Tess is saying uh, in terms of Hibbs' mentality toward this, but I think that we also go into this with a bit more refreshness as well, which will which will help us. So uh, I think it will be a three
2: one win for Rangers at Hamden on Sunday. Tess, mate, I was going to say exactly the same. I think Hibbs will take the lead. I think we'll equalise within about five minutes, maybe get another one before half-time and then add a third in the second when they're tired. But no, I, I, I fancied three One was Ipswich able to score first.
1: OK, I'm going to go against that and I'm going to say 2-0. I think we're going to get a clean sheet um, for, for once in our lives and we can all blame uh, the previous management team for the conceding of goals. So I think it's going to be 2-0 for, for Rangers. OK, uh, that will do us for tonight. James, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Adam. And Tess, thank you.
2: I'm away to watch Ghostbusters now, and then I'm going to come home. I'm going to put RTV on, mate. I'm going to get myself a nice glass of red and raise a toast to Walter Smith.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you all for joining us. We'll be back next week.